I have a really great conversation for you today. And I am, I'm really, I feel actually kind of, I don't know, proud to be able to bring it to you. I spent uh, such an amazing afternoon speaking with Aditi Loveridge and what an incredible human being who is so aware of all the areas of, you know, loss and grief because of the work she does. It's not in divorce. And now she's going through a divorce herself. And we talk a lot about how that plays, you know, how her knowledge and her training, how does that affect her ability to cope? And uh, she shares openly about how she realizes that she will need help and so on. So Aditi is a certified pregnancy and infant loss coach and advocate. She is a founder of the registered charity Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center and the co-founder of Seeds of Growth, Grief Education, um, Aditi also sits as a board chair for Skipping Stones Foundation, empowering trans and gender diverse youth and adults. Through her work, Aditi has supported hundreds of families on the reproductive paths. As an expert in the field, Aditi has been asked to speak on countless podcasts, radio and television spots, and has advocated for systemic change for the lost community at the government level. She is a trailblazer within the lost community, and she is grateful to share her wisdom, experiences, and heart towards the betterment of others. In other words, she is an incredibly soulful, compassionate, kind, and generous woman. And I, I connected with her first, actually, on Instagram, and I share that as we get into our episode as well. But you know, I think what drew me to her was two things that we share in common, and that is that we have both experienced infant loss. Um, our losses are different, but it's still a loss. And we have both experienced divorce. Mine, of course, is many years ago. Hers is going on now. And it's that journey that she shares with us today in this episode. So I invite you to sit back and enjoy this incredible conversation with this impactful woman. I am so excited to have Aditi here on A Blessing in Divorce. Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Blessing in Divorce. I am so grateful to be allowed into your headset and day today. My name is Elizabeth and I am the host of this podcast and the owner and founder of The Separation Club, which is the club you never wanted to be part of, but the best club to be in if you're going through separation and divorce. Here we talk about how to heal, move forward, and find love if you are so inclined. Also, motherhood through divorce, finding yourself, and creating the life you deserve. I am also a divorced mother of four adult sons, remarried, and stepmom to three, so we will be talking about everything that goes with all of that here. If you are recently separated, thinking of separating, divorcing, or even beyond your divorce, but still feeling it, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, um, Aditi, and I am so glad you're here. I've been waiting kind of for this interview. Um, it's quite a while that we connected. I think I just started my podcast, um, and I was drawn to you. You know, it's funny how you people jump out at you on Instagram. This is where we met, Instagram, yes. right? Um, you're in Canada like me, but you're far away from me in Calgary. And um, uh, you you jumped out at me, I think, because you were sharing for the first time online that you were separating. So that was the first part of it. 
And then it was just the way you shared it that intrigued me. And then I jumped into your profile, of course, like we all do, or at least I do. And I also noticed, of course, the work that you do, your pregnancy loss um, and infant loss coach. And mm-hmm. I have had, had my own loss story, uh, a stillbirth. Like I said to you, just when we were talking before the show about 28 years ago now, I can't believe it's been that long. Um, so I really felt connected to you simply because we were sharing experiences in life. So I'm really thrilled to to be talking to you today. And I there's so many things I want to get into. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yes, and thanks for your patience, because I know we did try to <laughs> we tried to organize this a little while ago. And yes, life got in the way. So thanks. Life for gets in the way. I somehow managed to fill the airspace with something. So <laughs> mostly <laughs> my own voice. Yes. But um yeah, I you know I we have two sort of big things that we can talk about today. And I don't want to, you know, as much as this is a divorce podcast, uh, I don't want to ignore the, um, the work that you do, because I know one of the things that also drew me to you is that you're so passionate about women's health, the women's um, su- women supporting women, obviously. And that's so, so embedded in the work that you do. And that's something that I've always been very passionate about. Even before I started doing the divorce work, I was in the fitness and health space where I was helping women who were actually having babies. And, you know, so uh, just a lot of, I, I love when women are helping women and supporting women. And so that was one of the things. So I, I just wanted to get into your work a little bit and talk to you a bit about, first of all, you know, how did you get into that work? I'm, I think I know that you have a similar story to why I got into the work, work I'm doing now. I've gone through divorce, so now I'm a divorce coach, right? So mm-hmm. go ahead, tell us how you got into this. Yeah, it, very, very similar. I think those of us that um, like work in service, we we come to this work because of lived experience. And um, that's definitely a part of my story. Um, I used to work as a social worker. And then when my partner, my now ex-partner and I started to um, try to build a family, um, my first two pregnancies were ended in loss. The first one was very uh, traumatic. Um, they both were very traumatic uh, in different ways, but the first one was definitely traumatic in in the care that I received um, um, as a woman of color in in healthcare. And my second loss was a later loss. Um, then I got pregnant for the third time with my now nine year old living child. Mm-hmm. Um, and that grief and that anxiety didn't go away in that pregnancy. It actually got worse um, yeah. and lingered lingered with me for well over a year and i would still say i think i still have uh heightened anxiety due to like the previous losses that i've had um even nine years later um so yeah i um knew that i wanted to be at home with my kiddo as much as i could and i knew i didn't want to work in the traditional like social work setting anymore and um the universe kind of guided me here. There was like a lot of other things in between there that got me here, but I um, ended up starting coaching because I knew that um, I wasn't the only one that needed this type of support. Um, And I started coaching and I, um, from there, built um, a charity. So I actually run a, 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 I'm the founder CEO of a, uh, a fast growing um, charity here in Calgary, but we serve uh, across Canada and in North America as well. Um, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. And from there now I also run a coach certification training. So training other folks um, to basically use the model that I have used for 
for basically thousands of families now um, in the coach arena. So yeah, lived experience and just noticing how impactful those losses were and how little meaningful support was out there. Um, that's really what what brought me to this to this yeah. space. And I and and we serve every every person. So uh, women, women, female identifying birthing people, birthing uh, parents, um, basically anybody who's impacted by by loss uh, is who we, who we serve. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love I, you know, thank you for the work that you do, honestly. And, uh, um, you know, when I went through this, like I said, it was 28 years ago, and uh, something sort of revolutionary had just happened in that in, within that space, there was a new recognition for that women needed additional support because prior, like not many years before I went through it, the the protocol really was just to whisk that baby away and mm -hmm. just send mom home and and let's just pretend that this never happened, right? And yeah. um and the hospital where I delivered him, uh, they had recently, like very recently, been trained in exactly how to manage what I went through and. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I had a very positive experience, and I know from our conversations before that you didn't, which I'm so sorry to hear that, and and even more sorry because of the reasons of it. Not that it's ever okay, but yeah. Uh, but I had a very positive experience from the standpoint that I was, I think they did everything right for me, and mm -hmm. that helped me. And I, I know how significant it was for me that I did get the support even there already. Um, but I will say once I left, it was... Of course, that's when the work really begins, yeah. when I went home again. And it's, you know, and I think this is so often the, true when it comes to certain things in our lives. And I think often, especially what women tend to go through, um, we're not, we're supposed to be stoic. We're supposed to just manage. We're supposed to just put on the smile and be okay. So whether it is pregnancy loss, which I would, I would think most women suffer at some point in some way, um, and then, of course, there's another big event, which is, of course, divorce. And I know that one of the stigmas we're up against, and, and men would obviously deal with the stigma as well, but, uh, you know, what did she do wrong? You know, did you not try hard enough? Like, there's this expectation, again, couldn't you just make it work instead of embracing the fact that this woman needs support and help, and which is why I've jumped into this field. But I felt very alone back when I did this, divorce. There was no Facebook group. There was no Zoom. There were no, there might've been podcasts. I didn't know anything about them. Mm -hmm. So it was an entirely different world. And I felt very, very alone. Like I was the only person I knew who'd gone through it. And therefore the only person who knew what it felt like. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure you felt that when you lost your child. And now I'm wondering if you feel that a little bit again, in some ways, it's a new loss. It's different, but it's a loss. Mm hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's so many complexity, like there's so many complexities there. Um, I definitely felt that when um, I experienced um, pregnancy and infant loss and I identify as a queer woman of color and I'm very involved in the queer community as well. Like I am a racialized woman. And so those like intersections of my identity definitely made me feel even less seen. Um, and I see this a lot, like, which is why, like, when I speak about the work that I do, I use very, like, gender inclusive language because it, it, it pregnancy and infant loss affects, um, absolutely like cisgender women, but it also, and it also, like, affects 
trans or non-binary folks and, and folks that are in same-sex um, relationships and partners and all of it. And so I feel like those folks that are going through it and, and the racialized folks, like there's an additional grief and kind of isolation and kind of pushed to the pushed to this perimeter of, of the experience um, that definitely impacts. And that was my experience is when I went for support, there was nobody that looked like me offering the support. Yeah, There was nobody that, you know, identified as queer. And I, I, I'm more comfortably now identifying in that space, but there was a lot of shame around that even. Yeah. Um, Cause I was married to a, a cisgender male. Um, and so, yeah. And now I'm finding that those same grief and those same like complexities and intersections of my identity are coming up in this space of um, separation and divorce very much so yeah okay and I definitely want to um, get back to that something just jumped into my mind right while you were talking about that and yeah. same same gender uh, and again I'm gonna talk about women or females who identify that way but I, I have some clients who who identify like that and they so they divorce and and I remember what one of them said to me she felt it was an additional layer because she goes, I went through so much to come out mm-hmm. and be this person. And in fact, not just be gay, she said, but to be someone who wanted to marry a woman. And she goes, you know, was very much against what her family had wanted for her. And, you know, so she dealt with all of that. And then she goes, and then we're now we're now we're getting divorced. We didn't even make it. And it just, mm-hmm. she, I think she feels a lot of um, that, now there might be additional judgment because it's wrong for two women to be married or yeah. because you made a mistake. That's not really who you are. You know, it, it invalidates her experience. In I a was going to say very invalidating, very yeah. invalidating. Yeah. And, and same for this... those folks who are experiencing pregnancy and infant loss, who maybe had to um, have assisted fertility. You go through so much to get there and then you yeah. experience loss and it's very, it can be society's very invalidating to uh, to people who have um, different intersections in their yeah, a different experience, identity. just even slightly yeah. different, even slightly exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. still you know it's, it's still a woman or you know a female going through this. I saw on your website that what was something like forty percent of couples who experience stillbirth and 20% to experience miscarriage are more like they're or they're 40% and 20% more likely to end up in divorce. Yes. And I found that interesting, not surprising, um, honestly, but I found it interesting that they had done their, that there's numbers that have been produced on this. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to speak to that a little bit um, on two levels. First of all, just from a, an industry standpoint, I guess, just from your knowledge and your experience. And then I guess if you would be comfortable speaking about it from a personal experience as well, if, if, you, yeah. if you feel that that played in. Yes. Um, yeah. I, so from a, from a professional standpoint, yes, that, that is a statistic that I came about, you know, when I'm doing grant writing and, you know, all those beautiful things that you have to prove that this is an impactful <laughs> experience. Um, and it came by that stat and it made me really reflect on the families that I have supported um, and the partnerships that I've supported. And yeah, relationships are deeply impacted after pregnancy and infant loss. Um, people grieve so differently um, and the relationship changes. And so sometimes it changes where the two people become closer and sometimes it changes where the two people um, grieve so differently. And then other, other, I would say like areas that were 
hard in the relationship kind of become highlighted yeah. um, within that space. Um, so, and I can, I, I can say for me personally that absolutely the pregnancy and infant losses and my experience then with postpartum definitely led to um, our separation nine, 10 years post um, pregnancy and infant loss. I don't know that if you would have asked me that at the very beginning when when I said, let's, I think like I'm not happy and I think that we should separate. Um, if you would have asked me if pregnancy and infant loss really impact, like was the reason or one of the reasons I should say, then I don't know that I would have said yes. In hindsight, now looking back, now that I've had like over a year to kind of reflect on on the journey and really sit with it more. Um, yes, yes, absolutely. It yeah. was a turning point um, in our relationship. Yeah, you know, I went through, and again, at the time I didn't look at it. Um, I didn't love myself because what I was learning about my now ex was not something I wanted to know. And, but I remember there was just this part of my subconscious that became aware back then when I was going, well, we were going through it, but I felt like I was doing it by myself. I realized that he was not someone who was going to be there for me. Mm-hmm. If I had hardships in my life, like serious health issues, or I don't know, just these things, you know, I, I even, I remember finding myself, I mean, I was, how old was I at the time? 28. And I found myself thinking, if I have serious health issues or anything like that, when I get older and I need him to take care of me, I'm effed. Like, this is just, he's mm-hmm. not the person who's going to do that. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard for me. And I did push it away because it was like one of those flashes that came to me. And when I saw how, how he was able to support me at the time and then I pushed it away. And I mean, we stayed together for many years after that, but it's uh it, it is very eye-opening and I really believe when people are in crisis they can't filter who they are anymore like he was in crisis as well he was grieving mm-hmm. as was I very different ways of dealing with it and and for him yeah sharing and giving was not his way so mm-hmm. it it's I wouldn't say that that event was tied to it but it was definitely tied to my ability to then you know it was one of those it was just one of those check marks, you know, like I can't yeah. be in this marriage anymore because all of these things. And that was just one of them, probably just really. Yeah, I think like I, I kind of look at like the relationship, the the marriage kind of like as this like thing that over time slowly unraveled and like like the pieces were kind of falling and like so that was definitely like a piece of it and then my yeah. postpartum anxiety i definitely know that i was difficult i was like i take ownership in that i was difficult because i was definitely moving through so much grief and anxiety and fear um that wasn't understood and wasn't supported by you know every i would say everybody in my life was you know didn't know how to deal with me i'm sure there um, must have been the level of well you have a baby now what's the problem right? yeah yeah exactly yeah. why are you like what is going on like your child is here just focus on that um mm-hmm. without actually addressing the the issue um so yeah it it was definitely um one of the pieces that that fell yeah yeah no i can i can really understand that um so 
would you say then, I mean, as you're now going through an entirely different experience, whether it's tied or not, it is a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that the tools that helped you get through and that you've learned and that you're in fact now coaching women who are experiencing pregnancy and infant loss, those tools, are you able to use them to go through this, to go through this divorce? I would say yes and no. <laughs> okay, so tell me um, some of the tools that you are able to use and then tell me what the no is about. <laughs> yeah, the so when I coach people through pregnancy and infant loss, and when I speak about like our coaching program, I always say like it's niched for pregnancy and infant loss, but it really is applicable to anyone going through any type of grief and loss experience. Mm-hmm. And it's more like spiritual, soulful coaching um like like our not religious but like our spirit our soul like connecting with that um so absolutely those tools are there like me connecting to to you know myself trusting going into that intuitive trusting place that i know is there um you know taking those moments of of reflection like really allowing myself a space to grieve because I think that we get so busy, especially those of us, if, if we're moving through and we do have living children, it's very, you're, you don't necessarily feel like you have time, yeah. but I know like dedicating intentional time for ritual, for ceremony, for practice, those things, those tools definitely have um, helped me navigate this, the, the divorce and the separation. Um, and then it's kind of this interesting place of ego, I would say. There's no other word that I can that I can find for it, but ego in the sense that, well, I am a loss and grief expert. This is how I have, this is a big, I mean, it is my work. <laughs> it is my life and it fulfills me. This work is just like breathes life into me. And yet, I am not the expert in this area. Mm-hmm. I am. I am. I am the student now, and I have to be humble enough to go. Yes, I do have tools that have helped me in similar loss and grief experiences, and I still need to be open and flexible to connecting, building community, and learning from others that have gone through this type of grief and loss experience. Because mm-hmm. like you said, while they're similar, they're different. Oh, absolutely, they're different. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the only part that's really similar is that the, it is a loss. Yeah, and, and there there's grief. grief. Yeah. yeah. But I'm like a vastly different person. I mean, I'm 42 today when I had... Um, well, when I gave birth to my living child, I was 33. So my mm-hmm. losses were early 30s. I'm like not even the same person. Like I'm literally not the same person as I was then. So of course this is going to be, there's just so much more. Plus I'm yeah. a parent, I'm a mom. I, you know, there's, I have different responsibilities. I run a, you know, like a really big charity that's rapidly growing. Like there's just so much, so many differences now than then. Um, so yeah, I think when, so yes, there's definitely tools that have helped that I've leaned on that are familiar and, and have helped keep me, um, afloat during this. And then there's times where I have just find my, found myself 
just completely in an overwhelmed state, not knowing what to do, mm-hmm. um, because I am new. I am new yeah. in this in this space. Well, and you're not just new, you are going through it. And I think Yeah, I'm in I'm in it. <laughs> yeah. And that's you know, I think again, I think as women, we've often been taught, like I said earlier, to manage, to figure it out, to, you know, we we figure out so much and especially when it comes to family and that kind of stuff. Um, we're pretty good at reaching out. We want to talk to someone, which is good. And I think this is one of those times where we really need to be around people who understand because you know, when I went through my divorce, which was years after my loss, um, I, like I said to you before we started, I didn't have a Facebook group. There was nothing like that. It didn't mm-hmm. exist. So my only support was girlfriends, family, and none of them had gone through it. I was mm-hmm. the only one I knew who'd gone through divorce. I was the first I got married. I was the first to have kids and I was the first to get divorced. So mm-hmm. it was really, it was really hard. And that's one of the reasons I started the separation club was to give women a place to go. And you've been in my Facebook group where they hear other stories and they're like, oh, there's somebody else who's feeling exactly like me. So I'm mm-hmm. normal. There's nothing wrong with me for feeling the way I feel. And 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 then there's hope because you also hear from the people who are actually getting through it. And mm-hmm. I think we need all of those things. We need the community. We need to know that somebody really gets it. And somebody who's not going to judge or say something really inappropriate. Yeah. You know? I think that's yes. really important when we go through these kinds of things. And and like I said in the beginning, coaches need coaches too. We have to remember that just because we know something mm-hmm. over here doesn't mean we know how to take care of ourselves. The same with doctors. They're not allowed to treat their family, right? Yeah, it's be- been a deeply, I think that's been like the, the most deeply humbling part of this experience, honestly, is that um, I'm often looked at as the supporter. And I think I also, yeah. like my ego also tells me that that's who I am and that's not that's not how I can get through this. Um, no. And so I've really humbled myself and leaned into like support in ways that I've never um, like been open to accepting support before. Yeah. So it's been really deeply humbling. Well, I'm I'm really glad you're doing that. And uh, you know, I somebody when I went through this, somebody suggested that I send an email to everyone I know and ask them to describe me with one word. And I think the purpose of the exercise was good in that people are generally going to say something nice and you're going through something awful and you'll hear, (laughs) you know, an overwhelming amount of those emails that I got back said strong. Mm -hmm. And it didn't make me feel better. It made me feel like I didn't have permission to fall apart mm-hmm. and that's how I felt my life I felt like I was falling apart but I felt like I had to hide it because everybody thought I was so strong and that's what they'd say to me as well oh my god Liz, but you're doing so well you're so strong look at you and it was like I might have been right on the tip of my tongue to say I'm having a horrible day but now I couldn't say it anymore mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to be that yeah. person who was just not coping that day yeah, because your identity is wrapped up in that. I like everyone thinks I'm strong, so I have to be strong. Yeah. And sometimes we're honestly, we can't be strong and we're tired of being strong. And sometimes we do need that space to literally just unravel. And and that's to me, that is strength. That is strength. I agree. Yeah. I was supposed to say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like the falling apart is what it is strength because that's where we, that's where we find that innate, like, ability to move forward not from this like pretending that we're strong yes. and I 
you know, I, it has made me, you know, if I learned something from my own divorce experience, I learned many things. I, I became a new person that that experience changed me. Mm-hmm. But I learned that saying things to people like, oh, you got this girl, you know, you can do it, mm-hmm. you can do anything. I mean, every now and then it's appropriate to say something like that. But in general, that statement shuts people down. It it shuts the door on, but I'm not okay. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not okay. Um, and that was, like, I remember, I'll make this very short, but I remember going for it to get my hair done when I was in the thick of the legal part. And I, uh, my ex was very hostile. It was very toxic divorce. It was very, anyway, it was, it was a stressful one. And I was getting my hair done. I was excited about just sitting and being taken care of for a couple mm-hmm. of hours, you know, highlights, cut the works. And I forgot that about four months earlier when I'd been there, this woman had uh, kind of unloaded on me on uh, about her troubles in her marriage and at that that particular day, I was feeling strong. I was feeling great. I was having a good day. And I was there for her. And we talked. And she's like, oh, you're so wise. So I, mean, I walk in that day. I'm not in a strong place. I'm very fragile that day. And the first thing she said to me, she goes, oh, I've been waiting for you to come all day. I can't wait to talk to you. You're so wise. And I got so much I want to ask you. And I was like, oh, this isn't my yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually wasn't even, I, I almost started crying when she said that, which, of course, I wouldn't allow myself to do. I wouldn't allow myself to say, I can't be there for you today. I wouldn't want to disappoint anyone. So I just sat there and I hardly said a word. She actually, I think she must've picked up on it finally because she just stopped talking to me. Um, Not that she was rude or anything. She just Mm -hmm. stopped talking to me and we're in silence, which was heaven for me at that point. (laughs) Yes. I left that, that appointment and I sat in my car and cried. Like we all sit in our car and cry. Right. But um, that was, that was the day I realized that, I don't, I don't want to be seen as so strong that I can't be not strong. Like mm-hmm. I, I felt like I wasn't allowed to. Mm-hmm. And, that was, and that's that was- why I, that's why I opened up on social media. Mm-hmm. Cause for me, I've always been somebody who's like very authentic. Like I, I'm not one of those posters that like posts on it, social media to just for the sake of content I I, like I post from like a place of like authenticity and and so I really when we first were going through it I really was like do I say it do I not say it because I also realized you know for out of respect to my ex-partner like what should I say and what how can I post in a way that's not you know because there's his part of the story and there's mine and how do I respect both? But I really felt like I needed to speak on it. And I still feel like I need to speak on it for that reason, because we all are human and we all are going through some sort of grief and loss. That's, that is one thing we all, that connects all of us. We all will experience grief and loss in some form or the other through our life. Um, And so I don't feel like it's helpful for people if we are, just are completely on the other side of it and then start talking about it Absolutely. because that me- that messy middle well, is when you need people so important yeah is so important for people to see I think mm. yes that messy it, middle there's too much of the I'm good now you yeah know, everything you know is over um you're right and I think that is I think that is really important so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad you shared plus it allowed me to find you because that was the post <laughs> yeah. that, that was the post that grabbed me that day and we weren't following each other so no I was no. meant to see that post that day yeah you um, were I guess switch gears just a little um 
now I can't even remember if we talked about this before I started recording or after, but I will just bring it back for a second. You mentioned that when you went through your pregnancy loss, I believe your first one, mm-hmm. that being a woman of color had really impacted negatively, unfortunately, the care mm-hmm. that you got. And yeah. uh, I'm so sorry that you experienced that. You. I wanted to bring it around to the the divorce. And I know you're from, or your, your heritage is Indian, like from yeah. India. And um I, I do know from conversations with other women that that cultural element can play into this as well. So mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't actually know if you're divorcing someone from the same background as you, but um, no. Okay. So, but either way, I think there's different set of expectations. Mm-hmm. So if you could um, talk a bit to that as well. And uh, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I know that it plays a huge part in it. Um, so my ex-partner is um, Caucasian. Okay. Um, and that even from the start, I think is, um, was challenging. Um, just because our From the start of the are, marriage or from the start? Yeah, of the, yeah. from the start of the marriage. Um, not because of our families, our family is like very accepting. Um, but fundamentally, like our views and our values were different around family and around marriage. Um, he came from a divorced family. I, my family, uh, my parents are still very happily married um, for 54 years. So very just different lived experience of what family and marriage and partnership looks like yeah so i think that was a challenge right from the start um and then now with the the separation i actually said this to my sister the other day we were talking and i said you know like i find it culturally um culturally like i find when i talk to my white friends and it's very dismissed it's very like oh you're getting separated okay well you know like you said time to move on you got this like you'll be fine everything's fine like and oh this and then the next question out of their mouth is so when are you dating when it like yeah right and for and for me from the east indian cultures part, part of it first of all like i have i do have family members um older family members that are divorced um, none of them had children or like one of them had a child, but like they divorced way later where the child was like a grown up. So nobody had, nobody had younger children. So I'm the first one in our family that's going through it with a younger child. Um, and there is, there's a lot of like unspoken guilt and shame around it from a cultural perspective. And then also from a cultural perspective of like, yeah, that cultural perspective of like, okay, I am not going to jump into dating because like my kiddo is like my priority right now. And this is actually a really big deal for me in my identity as um, an East Indian person. This is actually a really big deal. It's like, for me, it's like a very big loss where, where I find it's very dismissed. Um, And even the way that my ex-partner is moving through it. Also, I can see it's like, okay, well, you know, we're here, like sucks, but we're here. Whereas yeah. for me, I, 
I've constantly been like, where, where did I go wrong? What did I do? How could I have been different? How could I have shown up as a, as a better uh, partner or how, like, you know, like this guilt and shame, I think is very rooted in the cultural kind of expectation and the cultural, um, not just expectation of marriage, but I also feel like culturally the priority of family. Yeah. And what I grew up seeing like from my parents' marriage from that prioritization of family and what family means. And I grew up in a very nuclear kind of family. And so now, you know, we're separating, we have the one child. I, I, I identify as queer, so I will probably, my next partner, if I get one, will not be a male. <laughs> like, so there's all of these other cultural pieces that like are so hard to navigate. And I do find it very, just, I find the culture like the support culture out there um, to be very dismissive of of that. Like I was talking to um, somebody who I was like went on a date with and right away, like her questions to me were very. Um, so where do you see like a partner in regards to like your your child? Like, where's the relationship there? And like th this can be a good thing, like step parents are a good thing. And like and for me, it's like. Well, even the conversation of step parents, it literally, I had a panic attack that yeah. night. Yeah. It, it's not culturally what we speak about. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I was like, whoa, this is way too fast and way too much. And I, and it was really overwhelming. And so I feel like the cultural component actually, it really adds like another layer of um, just complexity and 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 expectations probably like, oh so many expectations like i don't know what i don't know which way is right at this yeah. point <laughs> because i like i said i just know from previous conversations with east indian women that yeah like like you just said they say the same thing family's everything you know everything. You, you just divorce really isn't an option like it's just not something unless you know, there's abuse or severe alcohol. Yes, that, yes, those, there's those. like, there has to be like a good reason for yeah. it. Not, not like, yeah. More fulfilled or heaven forbid to be with a, a woman. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And like I'm not so saying that things. was why, but yeah, I'm sure that there must be some eyebrow raising. Yeah, thankfully my immediate parents are like, super accepting and they and they've they they not just accepting but they're very they've seen and they they understand that mm -hmm. i am different i've always moved through life differently done things differently but that that dialogue that you know children grow up with in the home and and what we witness as children yeah. does become our own internal dialogue so like i said my parents are still very happily married 54 years later my parents um me and my sister are my parents world um so that becomes my inner expectation of myself as well yeah yeah it would and yeah and whether or not you allow yourself even to to have a new family one day, like, and I'm mm -hmm. not even talking about children. I'm just talking about a new nucleus. A new, yeah, like even a even yeah. a new partner for me at this point. I'm like, yes, in theory, yes, I'd like that. And then when I actually think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it it gives me anxiety because I'm like, I don't know, I, just that inner dialogue is well, this isn't what you should be doing. This isn't good for your child. Like, th there's this notion of like it's bad. Like, 
-hmm. it's bad you are not you me my happiness shouldn't be what this is about right yeah shouldn't be centered it should be centered on my child and and that's been a big conflict for me navigating this space because i'm like yeah but is that true like no (laughs) like i do think that my happiness will impact my child exactly positively but it's that it is that cultural kind of conversation even if my parents have never said that to me but just growing up like we didn't even in our circle of east indian families there was no there was i mean there was people that were like super unha- i mean still there's pe- members of my family that are have been married forever and it's such a toxic relationship and oh, everybody's like it. why you don't you divorce yeah. yeah but they stay and i'm like what how would have it how would that have looked different for not just their children but the other younger um family members to witness you know them doing it differently and like i maybe my internal dialogue wouldn't be like how it is mm-hmm. you know I, it's reminding me of a woman who came to me um same heritage or cultural heritage as yourself and she came to me because of her mother so her mother had left her father recently because he was terribly abusive mm-hmm. and um but still it had taken her 25 years to leave. Yep. Um, she waited till the kids were gone, you know, felt she couldn't before then. But, you know, when, when the daughter reached out to me was to help for me to help her help her mother cut the ties, she still would go over and cook for him. Mm-hmm. Just didn't live with him anymore. So she would still mm-hmm. cook for him and shop for him. And, and if he called her cause he needed something, she would take care of it like that. And again, it was, it's a cultural thing. He's, you know, it is. husband and that was the expectation. And who was she to just leave him in the lurch, you know? It's such a cultural expectation that like, actually, mm-hmm. when you said that, I realized, um, and it's not just East Indian culture, because I have a friend who, or had a friend, um, we're no longer friends, but I had a friend who um, was Mexican, is Mexican. Yeah. Where again, very similar heritage, yeah. like yeah. that belief system of family comes first and, um, she was actually in my life when things kind of hit the fan in the, in the relationship. And I was like, this was uh, two years ago where I was at crisis point. And um, anyways, she had called and it ended up like just telling her and she said, do you want to come over and chat? So me and my parents um, went over to her place and we, we were chatting. And I said, you know what, like, I just don't know if I can manage this. And I like, I've asked him to to leave the house right now. Like, I, like, I just don't know if I can manage this, what's happening. And I'm like, I was really upset. Um, And basically, she had said to me, well, from in my my culture, and, and, and she said, and I know in yours, family, family is everything. And people can change, but they, you need to be able to give people like a chance to, to, to change. And so I can't remember, she said something like that, not exactly those words, but it shamed me so much that I ended up, I ended up going back on my word. And, and so like the separation should have happened then. Yeah. Should have happened then. But I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, this is my husband. This is somebody I should be maybe, you know, putting in my best effort and, you know, whereas was that a helpful advice? No, <laughs> like well, you no, should, it should have just been a space for me to just be and yeah. unravel instead Absolutely. of feeling like I was obligated to 
fix or to care for this person in that moment where caring for that person was very difficult to to do because mm -hmm. I had to I I should have been centering care to myself at that moment yeah yeah it you know it's one of my probably most listened to episodes actually was one that I did on uh talking to women who are contemplating leaving mm -hmm. and and working through those emotions of you know who am I to put my happiness first yeah. who am I to to stop trying um what they ignore in those statements is the years that they've been trying now because their partner might <sighs> say oh I didn't know you were that unhappy oh now I'll try a little harder mm -hmm. and then they feel they have to try again and and put yes. through another six months two years until it inevitably falls apart anyway totally that's yeah. that's actually like that unhappiness like when you had the um when you had your your loss of your son and that voice kind of came in and said you know like this person's not going to be there for you yeah. um when my kiddo was two that's when that voice was coming in just saying to me you're not happy you're not yeah. happy here you're not happy here and always i would counter that with yes but my parents are very happy how could i disappoint them my child needs a like a like and i would just counter it with that like like yeah, yeah your my happiness was an afterthought and did you explain it away as well with it's my fault because i was really depressed oh yeah right? oh yeah, of course exactly. like, <laughs> like i i had postpartum anxiety so yeah. therefore and i and anxiety for me often shows up as as rage anger like yeah. so who I, am i to suddenly say that my happiness matters when i'm the one that's yeah. been causing all the problems yeah right? i've been doing that my chronic health issues you know i i'm more of a burden i you know like i'm not easy to live with yeah. i'm not easy to love those are yeah. the those are the things that that constantly and still that's what i'm that's the inner talk that's still happening for me yeah yeah you know um i think we'll we'll probably wrap this up now but it's been so interesting to talk to you i've so enjoyed our conversation i feel like we could probably go on for another hour but in the end, <laughs> we're trying to keep these episodes in a certain length um but I, I really have enjoyed how this conversation has gone and just how all these things tie in because it's life, life as women. You know, one of these days I'm going to write a book. I keep saying that, but I always said the same thing about a podcast and here we are, right? Mm -hmm. And I know it's going to be a story about women, women going through life and all the different things that we deal with as women and, um, and through motherhood and marriage and our kids leaving and so you're not there yet but I am mm -hmm. that's a whole other ball game <laughs> oh I can imagine <laughs> I give actually so I'm remarried and I gotta say I did I do give him a lot of credit for patience because I went through some tough years watching my kids leave home and did not always deal with it very well at all but he just sat there and smiled and gave me a hug mm -hmm. so until one day he said to me he goes Elizabeth you gotta do something about this because you cry every day <laughs> and that's not you and he was right that's all he said like get some help do mm -hmm. something and mm -hmm. I was like okay yes anyway but like I said there's so much that that we go through um and so it's been so interesting to talk to you and and because of the work you do as well I'm just so I think it's so wonderful the work you do but I really want to be there for you as you go through this and and I hope that you feel comfortable whether you lean on me and the group or you find someone else but that you know 
that you deserve support now and let us walk you through this like mm-hmm. you walk women through their loss so thank you well thank you thank so, you so much for being here with me thank today. you thank you very yeah thank you very much i yeah appreciate the conversation and just the space and you're reaching out and our connection um yeah i just appreciate it so thank you i feel like we'll talk again one day oh yeah i agree <laughs> <laughs> okay Thank you so much, dear listener, for being part of this conversation today. And I hope that you found some value in in sharing in this time with us. Speaking to Aditi today was, was just so valuable and really opened our eyes to other concerns. You know, that there's there's grief and there's loss, of course, when a divorce happens. And as you know, in so many other experiences we have in life as well. But there's also these other considerations that sometimes when we go through life, we don't pay attention to, you know, the cultural differences, the the experiences that people have and how their grief or their loss is received and evaluated or even valued by other people. And of course, you know, I could tell you that that doesn't matter what other people think, but it does when we're going through something as big as this, we really need support. We really need to be around other people people or women who understand what you're going through, what you're feeling and experiencing so that we don't have this constant need to justify our existence or our feelings or whatever's going on in our life. So I want you to know that regardless of your experience, your cultural background, your, you know, gender identity, your um, preferences, your, you know, color, whatever, uh, that you are welcome here. And this is a safe space. And I do want to say, I'm aware that I don't always use the, the correct language or the terminology. And that sometimes I am, you know, very geared towards the more traditional heterosexual couple and that I often refer to her and him. Um, I am learning I am doing the best that I can in this moment. And I I understand that it is not necessarily good enough, but I am learning and I am trying to understand all of that better. And in fact, Didi has very generously offered to help me with some of that. But I want you to know that regardless of the language that I use, you are welcome here. And this is a safe space for you. Um, And, uh, I appreciate your understanding and patience with me as I go through this as well, not I go through this as I am learning and, and trying to understand and be more inclusive in my language. That was wow, bumbling in itself. So I almost feel like I have to apologize for that, but I'm going to stop apologizing at this point. I will be with you again next time as this episode airs. I also want to invite you to a very, I don't know, hallmark moment. Valentine's Day is coming up. It is in exactly, or just under a week, uh, two weeks from when this podcast airs. And we are holding our third annual Valentine's Day party on Zoom, online. There's already a large group of women that have registered. It'll be fun. We'll play some games. We're going to make that day special for you. I don't want you to feel that you're alone, that you're the only one not on a date or with someone you love. 
you're going to be with us. We love you. We want you to be with us. We want to party with you. We're going to have some games, like I said, prizes, raise a glass of wine. And we're going to focus on loving ourselves. So this is a Be Your Own Valentine's Day party at BYOV. Third annual. You are invited. The details are below. And I will see you then. And until next time, have a beautiful day.